This uh, passage today is, is quite a challenging one, and, and uh, God has challenged me greatly as I've been studying this week, and uh, the Lord has exposed my flaws in the areas that I've failed to fully forgive and any kind of bitterness that has been harbored. And uh, it's, been, it's been challenging, it's been healthy, it's been good, and it's been freeing. And I think uh, in order to dive into this text correctly, you first have to understand the culture to which it was written to. So let me share with you the culture that this author was writing to, and you'll see a lot of similarities between their culture and our culture. In this particular culture, keep in mind, you have brand new Christians who are just trying to figure out how to live in a divided world. There was culture wars that were going on where some people um, did not see uh, the word of God as the authority of their lives. So they became the authority of their lives. And scripture says people did what was wise in their own eyes, which means it was a free for all. They can do whatever they wanted. You also have a strong division um, from different political views. Uh, you had some people believe sit on this side, some people sit on this side, and they hated each other simply based off of what another person believed. There was strong hate. You had a religious division. You had some believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that has been prophesied about. You had others who would say that is blasphemy. He is not the Son of God. He is not the Messiah. There was great tension. There was great persecution. There was great division. And then you add to the culture that is completely divided based off of what people believe and don't believe, you add to this culture extreme sexual morality. A culture that was really a free-for-all when it came to sexual morality, a culture to where people did as they felt, people who basically wanted to define um, what sexual purity was. And the definition of sex, sexual purity began to change depending on who was defining it. So as you can imagine, people doing what was right in their own eyes sexually was, was kind of just this crazy, insane culture. Then you have the new Christian who is saying like, look, I gave my life to Jesus, but how do I live in this world? I have friends who live on this side. I have friends who live on this side. And if I hang out with this friend, this friend thinks I'm a bigot. If I hang out with this friend, this friend thinks I'm condoning what this friend is doing. Anybody got any friends like that? That's why it's dangerous to follow your friends. Because sometimes, let's be honest, you've seen friends who judged you and all of a sudden changed their mind. Now they're over here sitting on this side. Because they just redefined what they thought truth was. And so you have these people who are truly desperate to say, look, I just want to know what to do in this crazy culture. This is no different from us today. Let's just be honest. It's, uh, we live in a time, uh, we live in a culture that is completely divided and polarized. We live in a time where the enemy, enemy is doing a fantastic job on having people completely hate each other because they don't vote the same. You have people, we live in a time where you have people who use this phrase quite often. I don't know how you can be a Christian and, you ever heard that? Hey, and I get it. I used to say it until I did the and thing. And it's amazing sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, like we, 
In our pursuit of righteousness, we can be so concerned with being right that we lose our witness. You may have won the battle, but you've lost your witness. And it's dangerous when you, your goal is simply to be right and you care more about being right than being righteous. I've never seen a being that being a jerk for Jesus has ever transformed anybody's life. Someone says, say that again. Now, I just want to share something with you because I, when I start to preach about grace, it's amazing what happens to the church. Those who can be bent towards the legalistic side who feel like they have no real sin in their lives get angry with this idea of grace until they find themselves needing the very same thing they hated that I preached about. And so what I want to share with you is I'm going to preach grace and truth today. Because if I don't preach truth to you, then it's not true grace. And so this culture, they were so divided and it was so messed up and it was so destroyed. And the Christians didn't know how to respond. They were being antagonized and they responded with antagonizing back. And then um, there was this hardcore um, division where people's pain and anger began to turn into bitterness. That's typically what happens when there's pain in your heart that you haven't resolved. It turns into bitterness. This is why if you think about a person today that you have disagreement with and you're, if you're honest with yourself, you're bitter towards them because you haven't resolved the pain that they caused you. And you think that the way to find yourself being healthy is to hear them say, I'm sorry. You think the way to find yourself being healthy, if you're being honest with yourself, is to see them hurt just a little bit. You don't want to see them win. It's a sense of injustice for you. And then on the other side, you, which always blows my mind um, on how hateful we can be as Christians on social media. It, it's a, and I don't have social media, so if I'm calling some of you out, um, I'm calling you out. Uh, <laughs> I just like, look, I, I firmly believe that Jesus is coming back and that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And I believe that my goal is not to withhold love from those who don't agree with me. My role as a Christian is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And if I withhold my love or give my love simply to those who agree with me, that's, it, it, it's like, I think about it this way. If Christ were to withhold his love based off of those who simply agreed with him or agreed with him, he never would have went to the cross. He never would have met him. He went to the cross for those who are morally decayed. He went for the, to the cross for those that were completely lost. He went to the cross so that when we encounter those that don't agree with us, we can offer the same love of Christ that we have tasted and not withhold. And that's how socially this thing begins to, and culturally this thing begins to transform. Our culture does not transform by you winning a cultural debate on social media. Our culture begins to transform by you living out what you've been preaching. Our culture begins to transform 
by you not changing the message, but working on your delivery. That's how culture begins to transform. Don't change the message, but check your delivery. So in the scripture, they're sitting here wondering, how do I stay true to what God has called me to do? How do I stay true? Because the, the, the people are living off the word of God and I'm, and I'm angered by it or, or people um, are, are, are voting a certain way and I'm angry by it. How do I stand firm and live for God? I love to do um, different research on just where the church is and the trends of the church and are people leaving the church today? Are they coming to the church or what are people believing? And it's amazing. You'll see a tr the trend right now is that about 50, I think 58% of Christians, Christians say that Jesus is not the only way to the Father, which is absolutely crazy to me. But that's, that's the trend. Another trend is this, that people are leaving the church because of this, because of the negative treatment against those who disagree with Christian teachings. So people are fed up with the way Christians are acting towards those who don't agree with them. In his book, Losing Our Religion, Dr. Russell Moore says that people are walking away from the Christian faith, not because of morality or a pursuit of holiness, but because many Christians are known for their pursuit of conflict. There is a religion practice that seeks to win through power, not peace. To enforce morality without pursuing holiness. Moore says that if we want to find Jesus, we have to lose our religion. Right now, some of the legalists in the room are probably really bothered at the fact that we are about to drown in grace here in a minute. But it is by grace that you have been saved. Not that of your works, of your own doing, so that no man may boast. It is Christ and Christ alone. So, if you have a person today in the room that you... Um, in your life that there is a brokenness with or if you are somebody who is really angered by any cultural agenda that has caused you to get bitter and you're wondering how do we solve this issue you don't change the message you change the delivery and here's the delivery he's given us verse 14 to these people living in this morally decayed culture he says this strive for peace with everyone uh oh This is, this is a, a great, 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 great challenge. This word strive in the Greek, I love the meanings that it has. It's a, it means in the Greek that you are responsible for making every effort that you are to chase. This word in the Greek means to chase and pursue brokenness so that you can restore peace. Think about that for just a moment. Think about the person that has hurt you the most right now in your life. Have you honestly pursued them to reconcile and to find peace? Or have you pursued them so that you can hear them say, I'm sorry, and then you feel better about the situation? Have you pursued them because it's the biblical thing to do? Right now, here's the truth. If there's anybody in your life that you are at odds with, you know that that relationship is causing you to be at odds with God. 
You, there is no way, scripture tells us, there is no way that you can have a broken relationship with man and woman and have peace with God. You cannot have a broken relationship and fool yourself into thinking that you are at peace with God. Because the scripture says that to leave your gift at the altar and to go make it right. And so the, here's the thing. I want you to think about that person or think about that organization. And I want to be careful because I'm not saying to change the message or to morally change your standard. That's not what I'm saying. But I am reading what the scripture says. The scripture commands us to strive. This is on you to do, to strive for what? For shalom. Shalom, peace, means wholeness. When a relationship is broken, it is not whole. There is no peace. So in order to restore what's been broken, you have to strive and your goal has to be wholeness in that relationship. I also want to be very clear that this does not mean that you become best friends with the person that has hurt you the most. It means that you release them from the prison of unforgiveness that you have held them in. Because when you set them free, then you are set free. When you set them free, then you are set free. So in releasing them, you release yourself. I am not diminishing the pain that you've experienced, and I totally get it. And you are thinking they don't deserve to be forgiven. Neither did we, and Christ went to the cross. So if Christ is our example, we don't offer them forgiveness because they deserve it. We offer them forgiveness because we have been given grace, therefore we give grace to others. So as you're striving and pursuing peace, you are only responsible for what you can do. Let me just tell you, there have been people in my life that have hurt me deeply, and I typically, I'm just being honest, the way I've been wired, I've had two buckets in my life. Those that are for me and those that are against me. And if you have ever hurt me or my family, I put you in the against me bucket and I throw away the key. You don't ever get out. Pretty messed up. Pretty unbiblical. I finally learned to add a third bucket to my life. That is the forgiveness bucket. The bucket that says, I'm going to forgive you doesn't mean you're for me, but I forgive you. And sometimes those relationships are restored back to what they were. Sometimes they're not, but I'm at peace because we've worked through or I've forgiven them. One of the most difficult things is when you muster up the courage to, meet, and I've done this, you reach out to someone and I say, hey, it's been two years, I've held on to this, I want you to know I forgive you. And they say, forgive me of what? <laughs> I'm like, no, your mama, it's on now, now we're in. <laughs> You've had that happen, right? And, and you're not responsible for them. You're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you in applying the word of God and transformation happens in your life as you apply the word of God. Strive for peace with who? With those who vote like you. How are y'all going to handle when you get in heaven and you see someone who like, they didn't vote like, how did they get here? How did you make it? And then you have someone behind you like, how did you make it? <laughs> I know what you did. I saw your history. Oh. So strive for peace with everyone. Listen, this is going to be the challenging part. Those 
who don't vote like you strive for peace. Those who don't look like you strive for peace. Those who don't think like you strive for peace. Those who hurt you strive for peace. Those who belittle you. You know how jealous people can sometimes want to belittle you because they're so insecure themselves that your confidence offends their insecurity and people begin to criticize and hurt. Even them. So you have everyone, which this word in the Greek means everyone. (laughs) Really deep. Very deep word. But can I be completely honest with you? That's not second nature for us. It is not second nature. You will have to find yourself here saying, God, I don't understand how you can be a Christian and God, I don't understand how you can be a Christian and God, I don't. And you'll have to come to God humbly and say, help me because I don't want to give them grace. And you have to humbly come to the Lord and say, I don't even want to do this and they don't deserve it, God. And I'm angry and I feel like I hate them. I need your help. And that's real. Those are real things that happen. But I also want you to understand why the the, the scripture is an antidote for your freedom. So please hear me. The scripture is an antidote for your freedom to strive to be at peace so you can be set free with everyone. Don't change your message, change your delivery. You know, what's amazing. Um, People, I get to go to conferences and I I get to speak to, to pastors and they're always like, hey, how in the world... Do you have so many different people from so many different walks of life in your church? You have people who vote differently. You have people who are different age groups. You have, you have everything. I think last time we checked, we had like 82 languages represented here. And, and they're always like, what, what's the secret? Tell us how you do it. How do you? I'm like, what? You know what I tell them? Preach the Bible. Because, because I believe... <clears throat> I believe the Bible and the, and the blood of Christ is the unifier for humanity. I believe teaching the Bible allows us to come into this room when we're all so divided on so many issues, but we're able to come in here and lift up our hands to the Savior together. That, that's a pretty amazing thing in a culture and world that's so divided that we're able to come in here and lift our hands together. And so everyone, how do you do that? with the word of God as your foundation and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness, there's two different kinds of holiness. There's there's positional and there's practical. This is important for you to know. Positional holiness is, is the position you get when you accept Jesus Christ, that when you place your faith in Jesus, positionally you are made holy before God, always viewed as holy before God. But then there's an accountability um, that you have. Um, and which, is, which is the practical side, practical holiness. Be holy just as I am holy, which now means in heaven you are seen as holy. On earth you live out this holiness, that you are responsible for doing the things that Christ has called us to do, and that's what practically makes us holy here on earth. So part of your practical holiness is to apply striving for peace with everyone. Because here is why, if you fail to do this, if you check this off your list and you leave here today and you're like, I'm not doing it, they don't deserve it, I will tell you that is your prerogative, that is your thing, but do not expect to see and hear the voice of God if you are failing to apply his commands. And sometimes you're not hearing from God and I'm not hearing from God because 
Um, it's not always that we have unconfessed sin. Uh, sometimes it's not that we are applying the things we know we should be doing. And so if you want to hear from God, the easiest way to hear his voice is to apply his word. You're not hearing, you know, sometimes it's easy to be like, well, I'm not hearing from God. Your preaching stinks. That's fine. But no one has said that as of late, but I'm just saying like. But the truth is like, you want to hear his voice, apply his word. You want to hear his voice, apply his word. You hear his voice, apply his word. So he says to strive for peace. How do you live in a messed up culture where everything's broken? Strive for peace. Stop being so angry with the people who don't see eye to eye with you. Stop being so angry with the people who don't believe the way you believe. Stop being so angry with them. And strive to live in peace. And he says, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So now he's saying, what is the cure for, to have peace? You extend the hand of God that has been extended to you. The grace of God. Because if you don't, listen to the result. If you fail to forgive, here's what happens. He's saying that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. So here's what this means. It means that when you fail to forgive or strive for peace with anybody, what ends up happening is you have extreme bitterness that is planted in your soul. This bitterness means that you begin to have this anger and this hate towards something, towards someone, towards something. And then you begin to spew just this anger and this hate and you begin to go towards character assassination towards the person that hurts you. And what happens, it says that you begin to defile those around you. So twofold, uh, one, if you are a person who is angry with somebody, um, you would typically begin to do character assassination. Number two, if you are in a friend group or circle or anything else, uh, uh, a chat, and there is a bunch of bitterness and spewing going on, you need to run from it because the scripture says you will be defiled by it. You'll be defiled by that spewing. You'll be defiled by somebody else's bitterness because a bitter root will always produce bitter fruit. And, 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 and so um, this, is, this can also mean this. It's the person who hops on social media who is just so angry and just all day long sending this angry stuff and you've lost your witness and you think you're winning because you're sending this stuff and it feels so good. And, and the scripture is saying like, look, you, you have a root of bitterness and it's springing up and it's causing trouble and many have become defiled by it. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's the Pastor Noe version that just came in. So, uh, number one, strive for peace. And I get it. This is very hard. You're going to need the, the work of the Holy Spirit to help you with this. Number two, you have to avoid bitterness at all costs. The way you avoid bitterness is to strive for peace and offer grace and, and forgiveness as an everyday choice. It's not a feeling. You don't forgive because you feel like it. You forgive, it's a choice, it's, it's a biblical command. And when it comes to bitterness, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, unholy Christians are the plague of the church. They are spots in our feast of charity. Like hidden rocks, they are the terror of navigators. It is hard to steer clear of them. And there is no telling what wrecks they may have caused. Are you more concerned with being right than righteous? 
And then he goes into this, which is a very odd, verse 16 and 17, I'm closing. He is speaking to this people group who are struggling with finding out how to live at peace with people who disagree. And then he takes this turn. I couldn't figure it out. I kept studying the scriptures to figure out out of nowhere, why does he add sexual morality? I want you to, I want you to listen very carefully. I don't know what it is, but the enemy has always had a stronghold on humanity within the area of sexual morality. The enemy has, has always tried to defile humanity in the area of sexual morality. He's done it for a long time. He'll continue to do it. And it's, it's getting um, pretty crazy. Now, you came here this morning because your desire was to come to church to hear from the Bible. So I'm going to teach from the Bible. That's going to be challenging for many of us, but I don't want you to run when I tell you the truth because I also want you to hear the grace. He goes into sexual morality, and I believe it's because he understands that when he's speaking of peace, that sexual morality disturbs our peace with God. So he says that no one is sexually immoral. So let me sit on here. This word sexually immoral is porneus. It's where we get our word pornography. This word porneus is, is anything that's outside and you're wondering like where, how far does this sexual morality go? Are there any loopholes to this? So let me just tell you uh, very clearly what the Bible says. I'm going to use the Bible to define the Bible. What is sexually immoral? If you go to Genesis 1 and you look at God's design for his marital covenant, anything outside of God's design for his marital covenant is sexual, sexually immoral. Affairs, sex before marriage, this is not very popular. I get it. But he is saying to be careful that your sexual appetite does not begin to control you. Because when your sexual appetite, by the way, that God has given us, that is meant to be pure and good, which the enemy always wants to distort the good that God has given us. The enemy always wants to distort the good that God has given us. A sexual appetite um, is not a bad thing. A poorly stewarded sexual appetite is a very bad thing. And so um, he says that no one is sexually immoral. Uh, let me also be very, very, very clear. Um, the truth is what the Bible says, that nobody is sexually immoral. That's what the Bible has to say, anything outside of God's design. Now, that's the truth. Now, let me give you the grace. Can I do that? That's the truth. Let me give you the grace. There are some of us in this room uh, that sexually, sexual uh, addiction or pornography or affair or sex outside of marriage has happened in your life. Here, let me share with you what is going to happen. If you're here today and you're struggling with this, please hear me very clearly. The church acts as if this thing is the unforgivable sin. While I stand on the truth of God's word, uh, talking about this verse here, I also must stand on the other side of God's truth. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. If any of you in this room have ever fallen, felled, or failing in this area of sexual morality, 
You are not disqualified from God's love in your life. You are not disqualified from God's plans. You are not disqualified from God's purpose. God has not thrown you away. God doesn't dislike you. God is not angry with you. God is not indifferent about you. It is so important that you understand because the church does a, a, a poor job of balancing it out, of saying, stay away from this because it's unbelievably harmful. And if you bite the apple, good news, there's always redemption. Good news, there's always redemption. So I want to share that with you today because I've heard so many Christians and it, and it kind of angers me and um, frustrates me because I don't have a great past before I knew Christ and I made a lot of poor decisions. And so I, I have tasted the grace of Christ and it's completely transforming. I'm so grateful for my God and how he met me in the middle of my brokenness. And when it felt like other Christians were rejecting me because I didn't have it together, uh, Christ didn't. And he met me where I was and it was his love and his touch that completely transformed me. And it's amazing how sometimes legalistic Christians will be like, no, you can't forgive them of that. That's uh. <laughs> But then the rules change when they need to receive the same grace they've been withholding. <laughs> the rules change. But he is saying, nonetheless, see to it that no one is sexually immoral. So if you're here today and you're living a, a life that is sexually immoral, I would urge you and I would, I would encourage you to repent, to cling on to Jesus, to ask for forgiveness and walk with him. And if and when you fall again, ask for forgiveness again. He's a good, good God. He's a good, good, kind, kind God. You don't need to be accepted by man to be forgiven by God. I can feel it in my spirit. The legalists are angry right now. <laughs> Take it up with the Bible. All right. Can we move on? You get it? Got it? Good. No one's left yet. We're good. All right. <laughs> then he says this, and I'm closing on this. When he's talking about striving for peace, stay away from sexual morality because it'll break your peace with God. In order to restore that peace with God, strive to have that peace with God. Repent, confess. He is there. He accepts you. And he says, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So let me share this story with you, and I'm closing. Um, very important story. Esau and Jacob, they were twins. Uh, Jacob deceived Esau. Esau came one day, I'm paraphrasing. And um, Esau, you, if you have siblings or if you have kids, uh, you ever seen your, 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 um, your kids kind of just begin to negotiate about certain things? So we had a, a party at our house, a white elephant gift party Friday, and some of our, our um, kids' friends and families came over, and so we're at the house, and they're doing white elephant gift. It's just for the kids. And then my, my daughter, who's, who's 10, uh, Mamie, um, she kind of got, you ever been to white elephant gift? And sometimes like, oh, that stinks. <laughs> Um, well, this, this, my daughter had a gift that she felt like stinks. And, um, she, she goes to a little girl who's like, I don't even know how old she is, four, three. 
just has no authority to think for herself just yet. And the little girl had a, a bomb toy. And then my daughter went up to her. I was like, you want this one? This is awesome. And the little girl's like, <laughs> and then so she switched her and I'm like, babe, don't do that's messed up. Like, don't do that. And then so we had to kind of correct the switching. But the week before that, my daughter was at a different white elephant gift and she ended up winning, I don't, which I don't know who was bougie enough to put this in the white elephant gift. She won a Lululemon sweater. And I was like, my daughter's going to some bougie parties. Like, I don't know what's going on. But somebody else won like a basket of lotion. And she traded it to get the lotion for my wife. What a dumb move. So I told her. <laughs> so it was like this, Jacob and Esau. <laughs> So Jacob was like, hey, I got a bowl of soup. You hungry? And Esau was feeling pretty weak. And so Esau says, yeah, what do you want for it? And Jacob says, your birthright. Like, how stupid is that? And then Esau says, deal. You can have my birthright because he had this moment of weakness where the thing in front of him looked better than the thing that was waiting for him. That could be a sermon within itself. So he gets this bowl of soup, time for his dad to die, and guess who gets the birthright? Jacob. And guess who's sitting there regretting it? Esau. And so basically he rejected a blessing for a bowl of soup because he was impatient because he wanted it now and he wanted it his way. So listen, the danger of all of this as Christians and wanting to be right is tied to the flesh and the ego. And the danger of forfeiting what God has told you to do, to do what you want, is this, that you are rejecting your blessing for a bowl of soup. You are rejecting what God is telling you to do. It is so sad that many Christians in here or in our world will sometimes fail to apply the word of God simply because they don't want to. And what you don't recognize is this. What you don't recognize when you are failing to submit to the word of God. Here's what, you, here's what you're doing. When you're failing to submit to the word of God, you are rejecting to feast with the king so you can eat with the peasants. When you reject what the word of God says to do, you reject to feast with the king so you can eat with the peasants. And when you eat with the peasants, your stomach will always be hungry. And you'll always be unsatisfied. A very hard word. Very challenging, very convicting. But I urge you, Christians in the room today, 
if you want to see the same culture today that you are complained about transformed, live like Christ. If you want to see the same culture that we complain about transform, love like Christ. We have no right to withhold his love and his word. And some of you heard me say, change the message. It's not what I said. Because if you change the message, you're not loving like Christ. Love like Christ. Love like Christ. Don't reject the feast and love like Christ. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want to speak to several things. The first is, I don't know who you are at odds with, but I just, would you please just, just listen? Because sometimes it's hard to hear from God and hear his voice because sometimes we listen to speak and we don't always listen to change. I don't know what that person has done to you. I don't know how deep it goes. But I'm telling you right now from experience, you will not be free until you forgive. I didn't say they deserve it, but you will not be fully free until you fully forgive. And the truth is, I don't know what you're waiting for. Do you want to see them hurt so that you feel better? How long will you hold this over them? How long will you be angry and bitter? How long will you act like everything's okay when it's not? challenge you to bring that person's name to God and ask God to help you through the Holy Spirit to give you strength. God, please help me with this person. There are times where I feel like I literally hate them. God, would you help me? God, I feel like they don't deserve any ounce of your grace. Would you help me? Then I want to speak to those that, um, who all these cultural things just make you angry and bitter and be involved, it's good, it's healthy. But has this pursuit led you to a place of just complete destruction and bitterness? And you go to churches looking for this one issue to be spoken about all the time, that's your lens for everything. I'm not saying throw it away, but I'm saying, have you gotten to the place where you were bitter? Because if you have bitterness, you might be being controlled by the hand of Satan more than you are the hand of God. Bitterness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Then if there's anything sexually immoral in your life, what's that, what, what is it? What is it that's breaking your peace with God? Is it something that you have done? Something that you are doing? Let me just tell you, like, if that is you, I understand, like, guilt and shame comes over, and you feel like everybody knows. 
Let me share something with you. He absolutely loves you and he understands your struggle. He understands your sin. You're not disqualified from his love. You're not disqualified from his plans. But what you have to do is bring it to him. Don't hold it. Strive for peace with God. And that means bringing God your junk. He can handle your junk. What a great God. He can handle your junk. How much of it? All of it. How often? As often as you got to bring it, bring it. Like a father waiting to spend time with his child, bring it. Jesus, forgive us for the times that we have failed to look like you. Please forgive us. Forgive us when we have attributed to the problem of our culture and haven't been part of the solution. Forgive us for being arrogant at times and withholding your grace as if we are the judge and in the seat of judgment. Forgive us for mentally throwing people away that we don't agree with. What a poor stewardship of your love to throw those away that don't agree with us. We repent in the name of Jesus and we are sorry for that. So Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for the, the grace and the joy and even the, the sweet sound of that baby crying that just the sound of life, life that you give. You are the giver of life. And we pray this morning if anybody's in this room who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they may surrender to you right where they are, Father, and just surrender all that they are to the feet of Jesus, that they may recognize they're a sinner in need of a Savior, They may cling on to your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I knew when he sneezed it was time to close it out. <laughs> Hey, love you, church. See you next Sunday. God bless.